Our scripture passage this morning, we're going to begin in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah is quoted by more writers of the New Testament than any other chapter or passage of scripture in the Bible. And due to its importance and because it is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans in our text this morning, I'm going to read the entire 53rd chapter of of, of uh, Isaiah 53. And he starts out, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of a parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities." The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut out of the living, land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grace was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will lot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and intercede for the transgressors. Keep your Bibles open there for a minute and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the Father, you are the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, your suffering servant, as we have read here this morning who bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. Father, I pray that as we hear and read your word this morning, you'd give us ears to hear so that we might be attentive, we might be obedient to what your Spirit says to us, your church. We pray that we might have that obedient faith that comes from hearing of the word of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Look at verse 1 of this 53rd chapter of Isaiah again. Isaiah asks a question. Who has believed our message? 
Who has believed our message? Isaiah is basically asking, has anyone really believed the message that God gave me to give to this people? Who has believed it? Anyone? Now, the Apostle John also quoted Isaiah over in the 12th chapter of John, if you would like to turn there. John chapter 12, John's Gospel, beginning at verse 37. In the 12th chapter of John, you'll recognize that this is during the last week of Jesus' ministry on earth. This is the week before he's going to the cross. And what was prophesied, as we read in Isaiah, about the suffering servant is about to be fulfilled in amazing detail. And Jesus had told the crowd in Jerusalem, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which he was going to die. And then Jesus said, While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. And then Jesus, after saying these marvelous things, did a remarkable thing. He hid himself from the crowds. He went and hid himself. Now we see the reason for this in verse 37 of John chapter 12. John writes, But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. They were not believing in him. They had witnessed miracle after miracle, sign after sign. A sign is what points to something. It pointed to the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Yet they still didn't believe. And John is saying that their unbelief, by quoting Isaiah, was prophesied in the Old Testament. God had already said, this is the way it's going to be. And so it says in verse 38, John writes, this was to fulfill the word of, of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. And then John quotes Isaiah 53 again. Lord, who has believed our report? Who's believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But look at what John says in verse 39, because he gives a reason for why they did not believe. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, quoting Isaiah again, He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I healed them. Both John and, and Isaiah, as, as John quoted Isaiah, hit on something that's inherent in the proclamation of the message, in the proclamation of the gospel. The message of the gospel will do one or two things. It will lead some to faith. Some will believe. But the hearts of others, in fact, the vast majority, will be hardened by what they hear and what they see. And so John also quotes Isaiah chapter 6. So go back to Isaiah again, this time in the 6th chapter of Isaiah. As we keep following these quotes that are quoted in, in the New Testament. The sixth chapter of Isaiah, you'll probably remember, records Isaiah's call to be God's messenger. Isaiah saw the Lord high, sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe. And you remember that, where, where Isaiah is going to be called into to ministry to be God's messenger. And, and after Isaiah was cleansed, 
of his sin by the hot coal on the altar, Isaiah records in verse 8, verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who am I, or whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Now, we can get the gist before we read this, because basically it's saying, Okay, Isaiah, the Lord will send you to bring the message. But this is how it's going to go. You're going to spend a lifetime proclaiming the message, but they're not going to believe. They're not going to believe. In fact, there's a similar thing with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called to God as a young man and said, God basically told Jeremiah, nobody's ever going to believe you. For 40 years, these prophets prophesied, brought the message of the Lord. They're not going to believe. And we could say they're not going to believe for the same reason they will not believe later in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. The Lord said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of the people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. What's that all about? According to the Apostle John, according to Isaiah, their hearts were hardened, and the net effect was, that the more they heard, the more they saw, only hardened their hearts more. But if their hearts had not been hardened, they might see with their ears, they might, or see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. But the point is this. It didn't happen in Isaiah's day, and it didn't happen in Jesus' day. Now, it would be a wonderful thing if the preaching of the gospel only had one net, true net effect that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that otherwise there'd be no negative effects. But coming to faith is only one possible net effect. The other net effect is that when people hear, when they see, it only serves to harden their hearts more and more. I think of John Wesley who said, I know my preaching is successful if some are angered, and some are saved. Because those are the two net effects. There's nothing in between. And angered, we could say, well, their hearts are hardened, and that's why they're angry. With so many people, the more they hear, the more their hearts are rendered insensitive. They become hard of hearing. They can't see the truth. It was true in Isaiah's day. It was true in Jesus' day. And it was true of the Jews in Paul's day. And sadly, it's still true today. The good news is that the Apostle Paul answers Isaiah's question about who will believe, who has believed our message, who has believed our report in the 10th chapter of Romans. In the 10th chapter of Romans, Paul has been talking about how the gospel message is sent out by God. And he said, how then will they call on him on whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And the point is here, you can't believe unless you hear a message. And you can't hear a message unless somebody gives it. And you can't give a message unless you are sent. And you can't get sent unless somebody sends you. And the whole idea is that God sends preachers. 
In other words, God had sent preachers far beyond Israel. God had sent preachers across the world with the message of salvation to Jew and Gentile. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. In other words, the gospel is always extended to all. It goes out to everyone. And the crown of Paul's argument here is that the gospel is sent out by God. God is the sender. There's a wide open call. Whoever believes in Christ will not be disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't try to qualify that in any way whatsoever. It's whoever. But Paul gives a however after his whoever. And the however is in verse 16 of Romans chapter 10. The 16th chapter, no, the 10th chapter of Romans, the 16th verse. And here Paul quotes the same Isaiah passage that was quoted by John. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 10. A direct quote of Isaiah 53. Verse 16, however, after the whoever's comes the however's. They did, and it's not a however of whoever may come, it's a however because some will not believe. However, they did not all heed or obey the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? In spite of such a wide call that whoever believes, that whoever calls, in spite of this extensive invitation, they have not all heeded or obeyed the gospel. Most translations read, they have not obeyed the gospel. That's a better rendering of the Greek. And that's the problem. Disobedience to the saving message. They haven't obeyed it. God has sent messengers out who have preached all over the world, and the problem is not all have obeyed the gospel. They haven't had a right response to it. The word translated obey here is hupo, hupakuo. Here the word akuo in it, we get the word acoustics in it. Aku, the root word, means to listen, to hear, to actually hear something with the ears. And so it's akuo with hupo on the front. And hupo akuo means under listening. It means to hear under. And to hear under means to get somebody under submission like a servant to line up under somebody. They have not heard it submissively with a heart of obedience. It's a rich word that implies that salvation has inherent in it obedience. And we talked about that in Sunday school class this morning. It has inherent in it, if we obey the gospel, submission to Jesus Christ. And that's obvious when you start looking at the other passages of Scripture. In all the messages of salvation, there is a sense of obedience. In other words, it just isn't believing Bible says even the demons believe and they're not saved. It's affirming that I will line up under, I will obey, I will submit to what I hear. And this is not talking about salvation by works or that obedience or submission is required for salvation, but saving faith has an essential element of obedience to it. And we see an example of this in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. If you want to turn over that sixth chapter... Acts chapter 6, 
beginning at verse 7. You might remember that in the sixth chapter of Acts, this is when the first seven deacons were chosen by the congregation to minister to the neglected widows. And after the apostles laid hands on these men and prayed for them, we see this in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. It says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming, what? Obedient to the faith. Here, obedient to the faith is a synonym for salvation. To be saved equals to be obedient to the faith. There's no such thing as salvation apart from obedience, apart from hearing under, apart from submitting oneself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the same thing in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. You don't need to turn to it. But Paul writes, Through Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul was called to preach to the Gentiles to bring about obedience of the faith. In verse 2 of Romans chapter 8, Paul writes about those who do not obey the truth, about those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. But in verse 17 of chapter 6, he says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Obedience to the faith and salvation mean the same thing. In the second letter of Thessalonians, Paul once again clearly equates salvation with obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that one day the Lord is going to be revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, the flaming fire of judgment, doing what? And he says in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who... What? And you would think that Paul would say, to those who are not saved, to those who have not believed, to those who have not received Christ, all those are synonyms for what? Synonyms. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that word again. The Lord Jesus deals out retribution to those who do not know God and what? Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They do not listen to. They do not attend to. They do not submit themselves to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Leon Morris in his commentary in Romans states it succinctly. He says, but we must not overlook the fact that the gospel contains an implicit demand for obedience. To decline the gospel invitation is to disobey God. To disobey God. People who decline the gospel invitation are living a life in abject disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good news is that after all that we've seen in both the Old Testament prophets and the preachers of the gospel, about all those who listen but do not perceive, all those who keep on looking but do not understand, all those insensitive and hardened hearts, whose ears are dull, whose eyes are dim, all those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul answers the age-old question, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed 
our message. And that brings us back to Romans chapter 17, or Romans chapter, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. This is where the saving, obedient faith comes from. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, from a cool. It comes from hearing, the act of listening, of actually hearing it. Faith comes from hearing and a cool or hearing by the word of Christ. This, the 17th verse is really explaining what was meant by the 16th verse. You know, who, who, has, who has believed it? Who then does, does believe it? And what it shows here is that there's a difference between hearing and believing and obeying the gospel and those who don't. And what really matters is faith. Faith. Not all have obeyed the gospel. Those who have obeyed the gospel is those who have called upon the name of the Lord and who will be saved. They called upon the name of the Lord and that takes what? That takes faith. Faith. You wouldn't call on the name of the Lord if you didn't have faith. The thing that really matters is faith. We are justified by what? Faith. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. All hearing of the gospel doesn't lead to faith. You can hear the gospel and still have no faith. The offer which is made to all is not effective or efficacious or effectual in all, unquote. And that's what the Apostle Paul demonstrates here. It is offered to all, it is preached to all, but all do not believe. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says there's a hearing and there's a hearing. You go, what? <laughs> Well, he, he, he only has 14 volumes on the book of Romans itself. He wrote a great volume on the book of Romans. And then he decided he needed to break that down, so he wrote a book about that thick on each chapter in the book of Romans. And if you ever want to listen to any of that, you just go to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and all the sermons. You can, can listen to all. But he says there's a hearing and then there's a hearing. Two different kinds of hearing. There's a sense in which everyone hears the gospel. When it is proclaimed, when it is taught, which is preached, people hear it with their ears. But not everyone hears the gospel in the sense of coming to faith in the gospel. There's a hearing that leads to faith, and there's a hearing that does not lead to faith. And we've already seen the idea of obedience in verse 16, hupo akul, to be in submission to what has been heard. Everyone hears the gospel, but not everyone hears it in a way that they obey the gospel. Obeying is a particular kind of hearing. They do not all obey the good news, the gospel, because the act of hearing does not bring about faith. So let me try to unwind it this way with a question. So how does faith come? Why does it come to some and, and not to others? Another way to ask this is, how does saving faith come? And that's what Paul is answering in verse 17. So faith comes from the act of hearing and the act of hearing by the word of Christ. Now, some ancient manuscripts in the Greek here have the word of God and others have the word of Christ. Well, is it the word of God or is it the word of Christ? I don't think we need to be troubled by this because... God and Christ are often used interchangeably in the scriptures. The gospel in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is called the gospel of God. 
It's also in other places called the gospel of Christ. And then it's called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word of Christ and the word of God are the same thing. So it's one thing to hear the gospel. It's one thing to hear the word of Christ or the word of God. And it's another way to hear it in a way that leads to faith with an act of hearing in a way that leads to faith. And the way of hearing that leads to faith has two essential aspects. And one is clearly stated here. It has to be the act of hearing the word of Christ. So what is the word of Christ? The word of Christ is the biblical teaching of who Christ is and what he has done. Faith cannot be obedience to the gospel, cannot bring obedience to the gospel if a person hasn't heard the gospel. <laughs> it's just that, that simple. There cannot be conviction in faith when a person doesn't know what the gospel is. And the New English Bible translates verse 17 as, Faith is awakened by the message. Faith is awakened by the message of Christ. The Holy Spirit works in the heart and in the life. And they hear the word of Christ. They hear the gospel. And faith is awakened and comes at, at that point. It's an act of hearing where faith is awakened by the message. And although it is true that faith is our response to the gospel, we respond in faith to the gospel, it's also true that the message itself awakens and makes that faith possible because we've heard it. And this is the second aspect of hearing that leads to faith. God is at work even in our response to his gracious offer of forgiveness. Let me put it this way. The message is heard through the word of Christ. It's Christ's word. It's Christ's word. In other words, when the message is given, it is Christ himself who speaks when the gospel is proclaimed. This is the word of Christ. These are Christ's words. He is speaking. In fact, the word translated word here is rhema, which is not logos. We usually take his word. Rhema, which is used as a saying. Faith comes by what Christ has said, literally, the sayings of Christ. And so it is Christ himself who speaks. It's, it's God speaking in through Christ, in Christ. When the gospel is proclaimed, that is God's word coming from Christ. And the messenger, whether it's Isaiah or one of the prophets or the apostle Paul or one of the apostles or any preacher of the gospel, is at best a mere instrument used by the Holy Spirit as a necessary part of the process. It is God's own voice that confronts the sinner and offers reconciliation. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts concerning sin and righteousness. And even the faith by which we believe is a gift of God. God gives to each one a measure of faith. And here's the cool thing. Yes, I'm a son of the 60s. I can't help it. Here's the cool thing. When it comes to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is at work with power in three different ways. He's at work with power. First of all, God is at work in the message itself. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 again, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The word translated power is dunamis. 
When Arthur Nobel invented that substance that could blow up all kinds of stuff using nitroglycerin and stuff, he said, what shall I call this? Now we give Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel invented dynamite. <laughs> and that's why he was so concerned about peace after, after that. Dunamis, dynamite. It is the dunamis of God. The word carries all that God can do. His omnipotence, whose power alone and only his power is sufficient to save men and women. If you want to add just a little bit of idea how much that power is, it's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Power. It's the same power that with a word, the word of God went out and the spirit moved across the deep and the Lord Jesus created everything in the universe. The gospel is the power, the power of God, the power of God. You don't think you can speak with power? When you speak the word of God, it is the power of God. And secondly, God is at work in the messenger, the one who preaches the gospel. Remember that right before ascending to the right hand of the Father, which the right hand of the Father is incidentally the place of power, <laughs> and... Uh, but right before ascending, Jesus was on that mountain with the, the disciples, and he told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The power is from God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And the power is from God. It's not in persuasive speech or technique or anything in the preacher. It's the power of God by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that the preacher can just let it go and let God, okay, I'm going to speak God's word. God's going to do his thing, and that's what God does. No, the preacher, of course, has a responsibility to be faithful to the word of God and to be a devout and faithful servant of God. Paul charged Timothy, a son in the faith, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Boy, this is quite a charge. He falls on this and then he says what? Preach the word. Karusantan Logon. The theme of Dallas Theological Seminary. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. But most of all, but most of all, the preacher must be on his knees before God, studying his word, filled with the Spirit of God, but the power is of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. My New Testament professor, Dr. Robert Unmack, used to say, I know the gospel is true because it survived 2,000 years of poor preaching. <laughs> and he was right. But then he'd also go on to say, it's a sin to make the gospel boring. It's a sin to make it boring. The gospel is the power of God. God is at work in the messenger, and God is at work in the message. And lastly, God is at work in the one who hears the message, right? There's the ones who are coming to faith. 
You see, there's, there's many messages on a Sunday morning like this when, when the preacher preaches. There is the message that the preacher has prayerfully and carefully prepared, deep in study in God's word and prayer, depending upon the Holy Spirit, and faithfully and, and humbly presenting God's word and remembering that it's, it's, I don't even know what the word is, it's really a fearful thing to stand up here and say, I'm going to speak God's word this morning. But then there is the message that is received in the hearts of every one of you, in the hearts of the hearer. God is at work in every one of your hearts right now. And he's speaking to you who are listening attentively and obediently in faith. And he's speaking personally to you what he wants you to hear this morning. So in one sense, there's one message, but there are many receptions because that's the way our God uh, works. He wants to do in your heart and in your life what he wants to do for his, his good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit is at work at both ends of the message. At work in the transmitter, as it were, at work in the receiver, and the work on how it gets there through the word of God. At work in the preacher, at work in the hearer. You know, I've had many people say to me over the years, Pastor, I really appreciate what you said last Sunday. It really blessed my heart. Or God really spoke to me. And I've asked them, what did I say? And they tell me what they said. And I say, thank you very much for telling me, because that blesses my heart. Then I've gone back and listened to the recording of the sermon, and I didn't say it. I didn't say it. But through the teaching and preaching, preaching of the Word of God, God spoke to their heart just as clearly as if the preacher had said it out loud. But this is not just for preachers, is it? Also, it's for any of us who have the opportunity to witness and share, to share our faith. God is at work in the power of the, the gospel message. You know, when sometimes when, when I'm going to share my faith or witness and I know that I have a particular meeting coming up, you know, I start thinking of, you know, th these are weighty matters. <laughs> these, are, these are heavy, heavy things. And, and then I start thinking, Lord, you know, I, I get more nervous because of the importance of all of this. And that's just to remind me that the power is in the gospel. The power is in the word of Christ. That's where the, the power is. And, and so whether you're sharing your faith with a friend or you're sharing it with that, that nice young man with a tie and a white shirt, two of them actually, that come to your door or, or whoever it is, that God is at work in the gospel message and we can open up God's word and trust that the power is in the word of God. God is going to work with power, and he's going to work through his word through the Holy Spirit. So this is not just promises made to the preacher or the person or the evangelist who, who preaches to groups. This is God at work when we witness, when we share our faith, and we can pray for God to work. We can pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work first in my heart, Knowing that the gospel is not the problem, <laughs> it could be me, and it could be the other person, and we can pray, God, work in their heart. Give them ears to hear, 
And what a blessing and a privilege it would be that God, you would just use me as an instrument for somebody to come to faith in you and enjoy your fellowship forever and ever. Shall we pray?